Open up your Bibles to the book of Acts chapter 6. We're going to dig in there today. And you can always tell who the charismatics are in the room when you start a message out in the book of Acts. Oh, praise God. Yeah, we're going there today. Woo! Oh, and that is me at heart, I'll just tell you. So the book of Acts is awesome. We're going to read today, starting out with a story about a guy named Stephen. Stephen's one of my favorite characters in the Bible, and we'll begin to talk a little more about why that is here in just a second. But we'll start in verse 8. And if you don't have your Bible, you can follow along on the screen here. It says, And Stephen, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. And then there arose from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen, others who were disputing Stephen. And they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. And then they secretly induced men to say, We have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. And they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes, and they came upon him, seized him, and brought him to the council. They also set up false witnesses who said, This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law, for we've heard him say that Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council looking steadfastly at him saw his face as the face of an angel. Let's pray. Father, we just invite you now in Jesus' name to move in this place today. Holy Spirit, I ask you to anoint me. God, empower me to bring forth a message of truth. There is no way that I could speak anything out of my own ability that would have the power to transform lives. But God, we ask that you would just come upon us today, open our eyes to see and our ears to hear what it is that you want us to hear and see. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the title of my message today, if you're taking notes, is Reflection. Reflection. And this may be something that you're aware of. It may be something that you've never caught in Scripture before. But when we come to Christ and we begin to walk out this journey that we're on with Him, uh, the Bible tells us that we begin to go through a process, if you will, along this journey, a process that begins to cause us more and more over time to become more Christ-like. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Romans that those whom he foreknew, he predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Let me break that down for a second. Because the word image, if you study that in the Greek, is the word ikonos, where we get the English word icon from. And they would use this word uh, to talk about how they would put pictures of different kings and magistrates' faces on coins and currency. It's to the point when you looked at the coin or the currency and you saw the face of one of those kings or magistrates, you would draw the conclusion, yes, that looks a lot like that person. 
That's his or her likeness. That is an image that resembles or reflects accurately the true person and true picture of the individual that I know. And so when we see the Word of God telling us that God's plan for all of His children when we come into relationship with Him is to begin a journey with Him to become more and more like His iconos, like, his imi- like the image of His Son, meaning we reflect Jesus in character, in integrity, in deed, in action, all of those things that when people actually look upon the life that we're living, they can actually see a resemblance of Jesus himself, the qualities of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but this is like a very challenging thing, right? And you have to understand that it is a process that we go through. It's not a one-time event. Now, when we get saved, born again, We know that the Holy Spirit comes to live on the inside of us, and now we become children of God. In fact, uh, it says in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that God seals us, and He puts His Spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. That word guarantee means like a down payment or a deposit. What is that for? It means once we're saved and God's Spirit comes to live on the inside of us, God has put the Spirit in us as a guarantee for eternal life. That's our promise of salvation and eternity after we leave this earth. Are you with me so far? However, we are still walking in a fallen, broken, sinful world, and we still have a flesh that is prone and bent to sin. So there is a journey, a process that God is working out in us where He is uh, causing us to become more and more like His Son as we go along in this journey. Is everybody with me so far? So, uh, you know, my brothers, I have two brothers and a sister, and we look a lot alike. So whenever people meet one of us for the first time and they know the other, a lot of times they'll say, oh, I can see the resemblance. I can tell that you're related. I can see that you guys are family. And might I suggest to you that this is what Christ is looking for out of our lives. That when people encounter us, when people know us and meet us, that they could say such a thing. Oh, I I can see Christ in you. I can tell that you're a follower of Jesus by the way you're living your life, by the, by the way your life looks, iconos. Everybody with me so far? And, and so on the opposite end, what we don't want is we don't want people to encounter us or meet us or know us and say such a thing as, uh, there's no resemblance at all. Uh, I, I would never associate or guess that you guys were related, that you were family. Because there's nothing about you that reflects that person which you're claiming to be related to. And and so there's this deep, almost mysterious work, if you will, that God is about the business of doing in our lives that is actually transforming us through our walk more and more into the image of His Son. And the reason why I chose Stephen in our message today, and why we're going to learn a little bit about his life, is because for me, when I read the scriptures, 
He is probably the greatest example that I can find, at least when I read about his life, it's, a, it's always what I see and what I think, is that, man, this guy really reflects Jesus. When I read about the things that we're talking on today, I can't help but take a second look and say, am I, am I reading about Jesus or am I reading about Stephen here? Because there's so much alignment and there's so much consistency. And Stephen's life is a message to us, I believe, that says we know we need to look like Christ, but here's a man who actually is reflecting him accurately in word, deed, and many other things. So let's look at these verses we just read a little bit. One of the things it says is that Stephen was full of faith and full of power. Who else was full of faith and power? Jesus, right? It says that he did signs and miracles and wonders, Stephen did. Who else did signs, miracles, and wonders? Jesus. Now let me just tell you, Stephen, we know from the Word, it says that he was a deacon, which means that he was more of of a servant kind of guy in the church. He was not an apostle. And, And we're not so far removed from the time where Jesus has just went to the cross, suffered and died after his miracle ministry, and is now back up in heaven at the right hand of the Father. And here Stephen is, a deacon, a servant, not so long after Christ was here, and he's full of faith and power, and he's doing signs and wonders among the people. And it says that many who heard him These were Pharisees and Sadducees, very self-righteous religious people. Many who heard him began to dispute against him or oppose him because they hated the things that he was talking about because he was exalting Jesus. And I'll just mention at this point that when we begin to move in the things of God and we begin to walk according to God's plan for our life, there will be a similar reaction by the self-righteous and the ungodly in our world. There will be an opposition that will come against that, the work that God is doing in our lives. You need to know that, right? You need to be prepared for that. But how does Stephen handle it? It says that he spoke with such wisdom by the Spirit that they could not dispute him, meaning there was no argument left in them. They didn't like what he was saying. They hated it, in fact, and they wanted to come against him, but he was so full of the wisdom of God in the way he spoke and the way he carried himself that there was nothing that they could say or do. They literally had to throw their hands up and walk away like, I've got nothing that I can bring against this guy. So then they go and they conspire and they, they frame him, and they say that he's doing all of these blasphemous things, and they conspire to get him killed because they're so angry with him. Who does this sound a little bit like, right? Same thing that happened to Jesus. But that last verse that we just read, guys, this is the one that every time I read it, I'm just gripped at the heart. It says, when they looked at the face of Stephen that he looked like an angel. His face, his physical countenance was literally emanating the presence of God in his life. Wow. So, So we know 
that when we come into relationship with Jesus and we get on fire for Him and God starts to work in our lives, there's going to be noticeable changes that people ought to see in our character, in our conduct. But one of the most remarkable things is that our physical countenance even changes as a result of being in the presence of God. I mean, it's really not a surprise because God comes by His Spirit to live on the inside of us, and He he does a deep work in our spirit. That's the deepest place of us. We're spirit, but we're also mind and body. So it makes sense that every other part of us would be affected and would become in, kind of come into alignment, if you will, our thoughts and our, our emotions and all of these things, as well as our joy and the way our countenance is lifted up and how we live our life that people see, wow, there's something different about this person. And Stephen's physical countenance is even changed. He's, he's speaking power and wisdom. He's acting in love. He's not doing anything hateful. And he's even reflecting Jesus' heavenly things in his physical appearance. I love this. It's, I can always tell when people that come here and they find the Lord, and they get on fire for God, and they start getting into their Bibles, spending time in prayer, because I'm, I'm being dead serious, their physical countenance begins to change. Anybody else bear witness to that? I mean, you literally see when they come in, it's like, whoa, something is different about this person. I mean, there's a glow on their face, there's a smile, there's a spring in their step, there's a joy that's coming from a deeper place in them that does not originate in their thoughts or in their emotions. It's happening down inside in the deep work that God is doing in their life. And every part of them starts to reflect and look like the image of the Son. And that is what God is wanting to do in and through us. It's a process that He wants to take us along. Now listen to this. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And this is in the New Living Translation. It says, So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. So that first part, the veil is removed. When we find Jesus, when we come to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, and we begin a relationship with Him, it's like a veil drops And now we begin to see with spiritual eyes. And we have the ability to gaze upon Jesus and see who He was and to know Him and understand the life that He lived and that He's calling us to. Thank God for the veil coming down. Amen? I mean, it's you begin to see not through natural eyes, but through spiritual eyes. And so much of that comes through the reading of the Word. But it says that a veil drops, and then we begin to reflect the glory of His Son, the glory of His image. Now, when you study that, there's a picture that's painted for you of looking into a mirror, and then there's a reflection coming back at you of what's actually looking into the mirror. And so what it's saying is, 
is that as we come into relationship with Jesus and we become more and more like him, that when people look at us, it literally needs to be like a mirror reflecting back to them the image of Christ in the life that we're living in the way that what they're seeing in and through us. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? Now, it says that it happens from glory to glory or more and more as a process. Now, this is what sets me free because this tells me that I am a work that's still being worked out, right? right? I mean, I'm not already there. Anybody else? Right. Some, some of you are already there. Okay, great. Awesome. <laughs> Praise God. Good for you. Wow. <laughs> Next lesson will be on humility. Okay. Okay. Uh, but it says that it is a work in progress that is happening constantly in and through me. And it says that it's happening by the Spirit, which means it's the Holy Spirit in us that's actually doing the surgery. You know what I'm saying? Like a lot of times people will say, and I, and I get it, I, you know, I don't think that somebody's like real bad for saying this, but I think they're often saying this when they'll be like, you know, I just need to go and work on myself for a little while. I I just need to work on me. And and I'm like, well, actually, that's not going to work because you're not qualified to be the physician that operates on yourself. (laughs) There's a reason why it says by the spirit of God in you that this work is being performed. You need to understand that your part is getting yourself in the operating room, getting up on the operating table, and allowing yourself to be worked on, which I'll remind you is pretty painful, okay? But David had a handle on this when he said in the book of Psalms, Lord, examine my heart and discover any iniquity that's in me. And if you see it, purge it from me. He knew he wasn't qualified to hold the scalpel on his own. He's not going to do the work on his, on his own self to try to get the things worked out that need to be. He knew that he just needed to submit and, and, and embrace the process that God was going to be a bu- busy about the work of doing in his life. Amen? And I love that because that tells me, no, we're not there. None of us are. In fact, we won't be there until we leave this earth, actually, because while we're breathing and we're in a broken world, in a body that is bent to sin, it's impossible to be made perfect. We are, we are righteous and in right standing with Christ, but there is still an element of working things out of us that God is having to do. And when we leave this life and enter into eternity, the Bible says when that which is imperfect passes away, that which is perfect will be made known. And so then we settle in and we see all things as they are. But for now, we're in a journey that is all about the business of being worked out to look more and more like Christ in the way we live our lives. Can anybody say amen to that? And so it's a process. It's not a one-time thing. And it is a, a deep and mysterious work. And so God puts His Spirit on the inside of us, we get filled with Him. Now, this is a miracle in itself because when He puts His Spirit on the inside of us, we immediately get filled with the spiritual DNA of God. In fact, Peter says this. He says, we become partakers of the divine nature by Christ who's in us. So the nature of God and and the things of God 
automatically begin to fill us when, when we accept Christ. So that's the first step in the process. But there is also a work of purging or purifying, or as the Bible refers to as sanctification, that needs to happen, which is basically beginning to purge out any of the sinful things that we still carry with us in this body, in this flesh. Now, I don't know about you, but a lot of times I think to myself, man, why did I just think that? Anybody else? Oh, now we're getting a few more. Okay, now we're getting there. All right, good. So you think, man, I don't, why, did I, why am I having those thoughts? That is just weird. Or, gosh, why did I do that stupid thing? All right, good, okay. I know everybody's there, okay? Uh, if your hand's not going up, I'll see you after service, okay? All right. But I, why, did I do, why did I think these things? Why do I do these things? And, you know, at the end of praying, God, help me with this stuff, it, it really kind of boils down to, I, I, if I could think more like Christ and I could be more like Christ, then all these things that I'm dealing with in these areas that I'm struggling in would really get worked out the way that they need to. And so if God can transform me more and more into the image of His Son, then the time I'm spending with Him and the work that He's doing, my thoughts begin to align with His thoughts. Your thoughts begin to align with His thoughts. Our ways begin to align with His ways. And the, the reflection of the image of the sun begins to come more in view for those who gaze upon it. Wow. And in many places, the Bible actually refers to God as a refiner of silver. It's a metaphor. It paints a picture for us of the kind of relationship and work that God wants to do in our lives. In order to understand it, you kind of have to know how silver is refined. It says that God sits as a refiner of silver. He sits over the smelter and that he seeks to purge away the dross and impurities out of us. So when they mine silver out of the earth, we know that's a valuable metal. But there are impurities and other kinds of metals that typically are mixed in with the precious silver. So they get it out of the earth. That's the first step. And then they begin to put it into the refiner's fire, and they heat it just hot enough to the point that there begins to uh, impurities and toxins, whatever you want to call them, the, uh, that are not a part of the silver metal, begin to like sweat out of the silver. It's called dross, and then the dross is knocked away, and they do that over and over until they sweat all the impurities out and then the silver is ready to go to the jeweler. Oh, man, get this powerful imagery for a second. So the silver is being prepared through a refining process to go to the jeweler at the end whenever it's most pure. We are the bride of Christ. But while we are walking in this world, we are in a time of betrothal or engagement. The marriage is not yet consummated until we go to be with Him in eternity. And a bride during the time of betrothal is preparing herself to present herself to her groom. 
and she is putting on perfumes and oils and all of the fancy stuff, and she's getting herself ready for the glorious day when she's finally presented to the bridegroom. And if we're the bride of Christ, and we are being worked on, and we are being refined, and things are being dealt with in us every day more and more until eventually comes the point where we see the marriage between Christ and His bride when He returns, and that process is finally completed. And we need to know that we are working on the process of being prepared for that day, and a big part of that is in the refiner's fire. Now listen to this. I have a poem for you. I just I don't usually do poems, but I really like this one talking about the silversmith. It's about a woman. She went to a silversmith to actually watch him refine silver. They were doing a study in their Bible group on the refiner's process. And this is what she says. Uh, as I watched the silversmith, he held a piece of silver over the fire and let it heat up. He explained that in refining silver, one needed to hold the silver in the middle of the fire where the flames were the hottest as to burn away all of the impurities. So I thought about God holding each of us in a hot spot and then again about the verse that says he sits as a refiner and purifier of silver. So I asked the silversmith if it was true that he had to sit there in front of the fire the whole time the silver was being refined. And the man answered and said, yes, not only do I have to sit there holding the silver, but I have to constantly keep my eyes on the silver the entire time it's in the fire. If it was left a moment too long in the flames, it would be destroyed. So then I was silent for a moment, and I asked the silversmith one final question. How do you know when the silver is fully refined? And he smiled and looked at me and answered, oh, that's the easy part when I can see my image in it. Wow. Isn't that powerful? Man, that's, that's such a picture of this work that God wants to do in and through us. And we are all in the same boat. We all need God to work on us, in us and through us, so that we can bear the image of His Son more accurately and more clearly to a lost and dying world. If they don't see an accurate representation of Christ in us, folks, what is there to desire? I mean, I just want to say this humbly, but there is nothing in us that is worthy of desire for other people to say, I want to be, that's what I want for all the answers in my life and all the hope that I have for what the meaning of life is. But Jesus offers that. And when they see an accurate reflection of him, when people encounter the real Jesus, the real representation, he is irresistible. He is absolutely irresistible. What a privilege. I mean, what an honor to host the presence of God by the person of the Holy Spirit and to be charged with the mission of introducing the world to His Son through the image that they see in our lives. Whoa, I take that very seriously. I don't know about you. And Stephen, Stephen is a guy who is clearly 
been with Jesus. He has clearly spent time with him in prayer, in worship, because you cannot reflect Christ the way he is reflecting him if he hadn't spent an enormous amount of time with him. Might I suggest to you that Stephen, before this story, before he came to know Christ, was probably a very different person that people saw. They would probably not have looked upon him and saw evidence of Jesus in the life that he was living. But after the encounter and after the close and intimate walk with Christ that he was having, all of a sudden, this guy looks like Jesus in word, in deed, even in physical appearance. He is emulating the presence of God. That's the way I want my life to be. I want people to be able to look on my life and say, man, I, I see something about Jesus there. I see something that it reminds me of God that I want, that I want to know more of. And that we actually can have an opportunity to create introductions to Christ through the life that people are seeing. That the visible life is a way of introduction for them. And listen to this in, in the rest of Acts. Let's flip over to chapter 7 here. So after this, these verses that I just read, it talked about how Stephen was, was uh, they weren't able to dispute him. He goes into this sermon for the next chapter, it's, and I encourage you to read it later, but he basically talks about how you know, Jesus was the Messiah, the, what the prophets had talked about from old. It's this great summary of the Old Testament all the way up to Christ in just a short little bit. But once he's done, he says, this was Jesus whom you, you killed. He was the Messiah. And this is what happens after he concludes his sermon. Verse 54. So when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then they cried out with a loud voice, stopped their ears, and ran at him with one accord. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down and cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Stephen's martyrdom. When we were in Israel a couple weeks ago, we went past the gate that's supposedly the gate that Stephen was actually drug outside the city where he was stoned. And there was this powerful moment for me when we came to this place because this story is so dear to me. And I just thought about this man who was being killed stoned to death, innocent of a crime, and, and that this is a man who really is reflecting Jesus the way God is calling all of us to reflect him in our lives. And I, I see this picture, it says that they drug him out, and it says that they laid their clothes down at the feet of Saul. I just want to point out to you that this man Saul, that they're laying their clothes down by, is the man who becomes the apostle Paul. This is before his encounter with Christ. He is actually 
a Christian killer at this moment. And he is responsible for allowing this stoning, this martyring of Stephen. Just goes to show you there's always hope for everybody as long as there's breath in our lungs, right? But it says they laid their clothes down at his feet. I mean, they literally were so angry and so outraged at this guy that looks like Jesus that they're shedding clothes. They're taking off their coat because they say, I got to get a run at this guy. I want to make sure I lay into him. I got to throw with all my strength. I can't keep this coat on. I got to get rid of this. All right, give me the biggest rock. Let's let this guy have it. And they're just laying into him. I mean, a stoning, can you imagine how brutal this is, right? They're literally crushing in his skull, caving in all the parts of his body until he's so traumatized, he's hemorrhaging so much that he physically can't take it anymore and he dies. It's a brutal death. But yet in the process, this is where this guy looks like Jesus, man. In the process of this horrible death, it says that he looks up to heaven and he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And it says that he asked Jesus, Lord, don't, don't hold this sin against them. Oh, are you pierced to the heart like I am when you hear this? I mean, who else uttered words just like that? Jesus on the cross. He said, Father, forgive them. They, they don't know what they do. The murderer standing there looking at his face and throwing these stones and bashing in his skull and his body. And he's literally saying, Father, forgive them. Don't hold this against them, Lord. I mean, how do you do that? How do you look like that? There's only one way. It's that you've been encountered. You've been changed radically from the inside by the Spirit of God. And you've spent so much time with Him. You're so close to Him that the image of His Son is coming forth in everything about your life. It's not just talk. It's backed up by action. And there's a reflection that people see. They look on and they say, that looks like Jesus. When I read about Stephen, I look at him and I say, that dude actually looks like Jesus. Jesus. Praise God. The scriptures that are charging me, that are calling us to be conformed to the image of his son, I see a man in here that is actually resembling that. And that gives me hope because he was a man. He was a man and this all happened before he even left this earth and went to be in his eternal home. It's happened while he was in the natural. Are you with me? And the last part of this story it says whenever he was done, that he fell asleep. Whoa, he fell asleep. Now that is used, that term is used in the Bible many places to describe a passing, a dying. But when it's used, that particular term, it's actually used to describe a very peaceful passing. A lot of the patriarchs, when they died in an old age, it says they just fell asleep, right? I mean, just peacefully go. And I know we get this picture of the, this peaceful passing would be like under our conditions and our circumstances, and I just want to, you know, close my eyes one day when it's time and not wake up, and yeah, I mean, I, praise God, I, I pray for that too. But this guy, Stephen, he goes that way. He falls asleep. But he does it while he's being stoned to death in front of his murderers for a crime he is innocent of. He is so full 
of the joy and of the peace of God. He is so close to Jesus that he's already gazing into eternity. He's already seeing heaven in a glimpse before he even leaves this earth. And he's so full of peace that while his murderers are killing him for an innocent crime, he asks God to forgive him and then he just peacefully ends. Peacefully. Wow. That is a picture of the kind of life that I want to live. It is a picture of the kind of life that Jesus is calling us into. He died so that we could be filled with his spirit, be given the hope of eternal life, and have the work of sanctification be performed in and through us by way of the Holy Spirit as we walk out this life here on earth, preparing for our eternal home when we will finally step into the fullness of that destiny once and for all and see all as it is. Bible even says in 1 John, I'll end with this. I'd like to have the team go ahead and start coming back up. The Bible says in 1 John, it says, Behold now, chapter 3, we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. And everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as he is pure. Again, it is really, to me, a deep mystery. This whole idea of the Holy Spirit transforming us more and more into the image of Christ. I mean, there's a level of that I just, I cannot wrap my head around. But I love the fact that that's what God wants to do in me. And it says that while we are here, that we should purify ourselves as He is pure. You see, He's the example. He set the example. But then He empowers us and equips us to be able to become like the example. And that's all He's asking from us. He is not asking for anyone to be perfect. And a lot of times, this is where people mess up. They think they have to be at a certain place or at a certain point in their life before Jesus can work with them, before God can deal with them. And the whole idea of the sanctification work that God wants to do is that none of us can take one step without Him. And whenever we welcome Him in, he will begin to perform that work in us and through us faithfully. And as we walk closely, we will begin to bear the image of his son. Amen.